Morning, church. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 28, and please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 28 of David. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock be not death to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. You may have a seat. If you would, bow your head and, and pray with me. Lord, as John the Baptist responded to your glory, Jesus, uh, I pray that you would increase and I will decrease. Lord, may your church hear your voice, be guided by it, instructed, encouraged, built up, and filled with complete joy. Make your word clear and powerful, and keep me humbly reliant on your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to apprehend you as you are with eyes of faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start off today with a story, not my own, uh, but from the senior pastor of my church I went to in college. The pastor's name was Walter, and one day when Walter was a young boy, he was riding in the car with his grandma in a busy part of town and looking for a parking spot. He looked over at his grandma and saw her mouth moving, but didn't hear any words coming out. So he asked her, Grandma, what are you doing? And she said, I'm praying. I'm praying that the Lord would help me find a place to park. Of course, Walter giggled and said, do you really pray about these kinds of things? And she said, of course I do. I don't know how you could do it any other way. Now, this is a lighthearted example, but it is a wonderful illustration of a woman who trusted God. She recognized her need for help in every aspect of life, and God's strength and care to supply it. And she didn't just hold these beliefs in her head, but it carried out into her life. She acted upon it in prayer, building communion with the Lord and demonstrating her trust through dependence. She invited God into every part of her life, 
even extremely mundane things like parking your car. The title of today's sermon is Trust the Lord with Your Life. Like Walter's grandma, our trusting of God cannot remain in our heads. It must move to our heart and be displayed through our life. This demonstration of trust is called dependence. Dependence is trust lived out, trust in action. We depend on something because we find it trustworthy. And this is true for us all, not just in our relationship with God. Have any of you ever driven through the Eisenhower-Johnson tunnels on I-70 going through the mountains? You trust that that tunnel will support the weight of a mountain above it, whether you realize it or not. So you depend on it by not fearing for your life or finding an alternate route of travel. Even, you even give that tunnel, you don't even give that tunnel a second thought as you drive through if you're like me. So your trust in that tunnel is lived out. Another example, kids. You trust that your parents love you, don't you? So you don't try to devise other means of providing food and shelter, right? You, you know your parents love you, you trust them, and so you depend on them to provide for you and care for you and raise you up. What I hope to, to convey to you today from God's word in Psalm 28 by the power of his spirit alone, is this. We must trust the Lord with our lives. But you might ask, why? Why, why should I trust God? Why, why not myself or my job or any other, thing else, any other things? So we'll really dig into this text and see four specific reasons why God is trustworthy, why we should place our trust in him and live it out. So one main point of application and four supporting reasons. So if you have your Bible, open up to Psalm 28, if you're not still there. We'll read in just a moment. But before we do that, some context. So this psalm, as we've already heard, is a cry for help from the threat of evildoers. Now, it, it could be uh, potentially a, a, a personal threat. This is a psalm of David. So maybe this is a cry from when he's running from, running from Saul but I believe, along with many other commentators, that this is a communal threat that David is interceding on behalf of them. We hear the prayer of an individual acting as a representative for his people. This psalm begins as a lament, verses 1 through 5, as the writer's downcast disposition is quite evidently displayed, then turns quite a corner into a song of deliverance in the latter half. So let's read again verse 1 through 2 as we introduce the main point and see reason number one to trust in the Lord. Again, main point, trust the Lord with your life. And reason number one, why God is trustworthy, God is our rock. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. 
the psalmist is clearly experiencing personal pain and affliction on behalf of this threat to his people. But the greatest hardship he speaks of is the lack of the Lord's presence. Yet still, he appeals to the Lord, the Most High, his rock, for God to hear him, to speak to him, to show mercy and provide help. He doesn't feel the Lord or sense the Lord, yet he still relies on him. This is trust. We have much to learn about trust and prayer from this text, especially trusting in God when it feels like he's not there. The degree to which we depend on God is most evidently displayed through our prayer life. How does the psalmist begin his prayer? Verse 1, God is David's rock. David has assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things unseen. And though he is afflicted and alone, Yahweh is still David's rock. And what is David asking of God? One, he's asking God to hear him. Verse 1, be not deaf to me. Verse 2, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. And secondly, he's asking for God to speak. He says, be not silent to me. I think it could be more appropriately translated for God to be active. The Hebrew word for, for being silent can also mean idle, still, or inactive. So he's asking God to not be idle, to move, to work, to help. This psalmist desires God to hear him and to speak. And so he desires a dialogue with God, a relationship, interaction, communion. To what could we compare David's trust in the Lord? Like a little infant, distraught, tired, hungry, or helpless, is comforted by her mother's song. So David is crying out for his God to hear his voice and comfort him. He hates the discomfort of silence, so much to consider his life worthless without God. He says, if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. The Lord is his only source of life, his rock who he depends on. Let me repeat that. The Lord is his only source of life, his rock who he depends on. The psalmist's body posture also reminds me of a little child. What might a little boy do when he feels threatened? Hold me, hold me, he says, as he runs to his father, arms in the air outstretched. Likewise, David prays to his God, arms stretched toward his dwelling place. He wants to be where God is. The manner and frequency which David prays indicates his dependence on the Lord. You can see it in this psalm and the dozens of others which he penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. His, his prayers demonstrate his trust. Likewise, your own prayer life is the single best indicator of your trust in God. When we examine the way we pray, we see how we really feel about God in our heart. As Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We were made to walk with our God. Is the Lord your rock? Do you pray to him and appeal to his unchanging character? Do you have childlike trust like David and your heavenly father? And when you think about life apart from God, what sort of emotions does that stir up? 
If the Lord is your rock, then your life will be built on him. If you really trust him, you will depend on him. Oh, that we would all be people like David, who consider his steadfast love better than life, Psalm 63. Have no good apart from him, Psalm 16. And desire nothing else in heaven or earth besides him, Psalm 73. So to summarize so far, like the psalmist, you ought to trust the Lord with your life. Why? Reason number one, because God is our rock, unchanging and trustworthy. How can you measure your trust? Take a look at your prayer life. If you actually depend on him, it will show. So besides God's voice to answer, what specifically does David ask for? Let's turn to verse 3 through 5 to hear his next request. And this is also reason number two for us to trust in the Lord with our lives. And that is trusting in yourself leads to ruin. Let's read verse 3 through 5 again. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. David again repeats his despair for life apart from God, indicating his trust. But he goes a step further, considering life without God to be worse than just death in this life, but also the punishment that comes thereafter. What is life like apart from God, and what is the fate of those who trust in the strength of their own hands? This is our second reason to trust the Lord with your life. Trusting in yourself leads to ruin. These people, the wicked, are described as deceitful workers of evil, pretending to do good with their hands, but with wicked intentions in their heart. They are people who live according to the work of their own hands. They lean on their own understanding, their own knowledge, their own power. They are ignorant of the works of God, revealed to them through his creation and possibly even his very word. Now, it is good and right for David to pray for justice for the wicked. Because God is just and righteous, to love God is to love righteousness, and to love righteousness is to hate evil. But this isn't as much of an imprecatory psalm or a psalm of praying God's wrath to be poured out as it is a prophetic psalm foretelling the end of those who trust in themselves. Verse 5 says, Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. The psalmist is stating what will happen. Romans chapter 1 expands on this truth. God has revealed his power and his divine nature to all people through creation. And we are called to honor him as God in response. Those who do not will be treated accordingly. Church, I pray that this prayerful song of justice for God's enemies would be a warning to us. If the wages of sinful work is death, death 
why would we put our trust in our own hands? Especially when the perfect work of Christ, who fulfilled every demand of the law, is offered freely to you. To those of you who have not put your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, do you believe this? That if you live and die by your own might, you will be torn down and built up no more. This is a scary thing. Especially because God is true to his word and does not break a promise. I urge you to consider the works of your hands and the intentions of your heart and then compare them to the works of God. It is of utmost importance to every one of us to regard the works of the Lord and give him honor that he is due. Let's, let's take a brief aside and consider the works of God's hands. Do you see the eternal power and divine nature of God revealed in his creation? Look around you. Look at the mountains. Look at the trees, the blue sky, the grass. Just pause and look around. And I have one question for you. Have you ever made a mountain? No. And secondly, do you see his mercy and love in redemption? The song Christ Our Hope in Life and Death puts it this way. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. So look at Christ with the nails in his hands upon the cross. Our God is not only powerful, but loves us to the point of death to purchase our salvation. Whose works do you want covering you in this life? What about when we all die and appear before God? Christ suffered the utmost separation and wrath from God, his Father, so that we could draw near. And he promises life to all who approach the throne of God for mercy. With a plea for mercy, like David cries out in the beginning of this psalm. So trust the Lord with your life and with your death, because those who don't will be torn down forever. Trusting in yourself will surely lead to ruin. Now let us move through the rest of Psalm 28 and see how our great God responds to the cry of the king. And see reason number three, to trust the Lord with your life. Trusting in God leads to exaltation. Verse 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. So after lamenting the lack of God's presence and praying for his justice against God's enemies, the psalmist's tone changes quite a bit. He erupts in praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing, because God has indeed answered his prayer. There is good reason to assume this sudden change of tone and heart did not happen as the psalmist moved from writing verse 5 to verse 6. Does this often happen to your life? You cry out and then, boom, the next minute, everything's changed? Probably not. And as a, as a side note, as a hermeneutical note to help you as you are reading the Psalms, 
to help you interpret, it, it's crucial to keep in mind that many of these songs and prayers were not written in one sitting. There are oftentimes breaks of time. I like to think of King David remembering a prayer he made many months or years ago. And then when God answers his prayer, he, he, he calls back his remembrance and he thinks, Lord, you have done it. You have answered this prayer. And he goes back to that page and writes a new, new couple of lines in that journal entry. This period of waiting is not trivial. Let's not skip by it. This is where many of you might be, waiting on God to answer your prayers. As we shift into the second half of this psalm, I encourage you to take joy in your God because he hears you and will answer as he, had, as he has heard the voice of David and answered him. Let us now consider from verse 6 and 7 the exultation in the Lord that awaits those who trust in him with their heart. God hears and answers the psalmist's prayer, leading to great joy. Verse 6, David's first reason to praise the Lord is that he has heard him. And how does David know that God has heard him? Because God has answered his prayer. God comes through as his strength and his shield most likely defeating or warding off the enemy that was threatening the nation. Most importantly, God personally works for David with his strength, his protection, and his help, all resulting in David's deep joy with God. Look at me, look with me at verse 6, or excuse me, verse 7. He says, The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my shield. He doesn't say, the Lord gave me strength, the Lord provided a shield, but God himself was the answer to David's prayer. So even more than the things that God does for us, we pray so that we might have more of God himself. When we live out our trust and our dependence on the Lord, we know God. We get more of him on a personal level. We see his face, his person, not just his hands and his work. Notice what David describes as the answer to his prayers. Again, not just the help, not just the strength, but God himself. And though it did not happen immediately, all of God's provision culminates in exaltation. This Hebrew word, alaz, which is translated as exults in verse 7, can also mean to rejoice or to triumph. So this verse could also be read, my heart joyfully triumphs, and with my song I give thanks to him. The psalmist's joy is caused not just by triumph over the enemy, but that it was the work of the Lord. Not just that circumstances changed, but that God did it himself. His praise is for who God is and what he has done for him. Back to the analogy of a child. As a child grows, they do not simply cry out to their mother or father for food, help, or protection. They cry out because they want them. Parents, you know this. They don't just want comfort from a stranger. They want their mama. They want their daddy. 
Oh, beloved, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a father we have in the Lord our God, and what a comforter we have in his Holy Spirit. Do you want him? Do you want him? He is available. Look again with me at verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. And then his heart posture changes. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The psalmist trusted the Lord with his heart, his very core of his soul, his being, which resulted in his heart exulting. Men, women, boys and girls, your God desires your heart. And oh, how great are the benefits of knowing God. Nothing, nothing in this life. Ask Solomon from Ecclesiastes. Nothing in this life will bring you unending joy like knowing, trusting, and fearing God. And God freely gives himself as your strength, your help, and your triumphal joy if you trust in him. So to recap thus far, why ought we trust God with our lives? That's the big question. Why is God worthy? One, God is our rock. He is unchanging. The character he has demonstrated in the past, even in this very psalm in the life of David, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Though he may seem dead or silent, he is living and active and at work and listening. Reason number two, trusting in yourself leads to ruin. If you trust in yourself, you will depend on yourself. And living and dying by the work of your hands ends in eternal ruin. Reason number three, Trusting in God results or leads to exaltation. Trust in God and you get both his hands and his feet, his feet, his face. I'm sure his feet too. You'll run really fast. Not just in this life, but for eternity, we get to know our God who made us and live with him and take joy with him and experience his glory face to face. What exaltation. God himself is our triumphal joy. And now lastly, reason number four. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. He is the refuge of his people because he has proven himself to be the refuge of his anointed. So after praising God for answering personal prayer, this psalm turns into a congregational praise and prayer request. Read with me verse 8 and 9. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. The Lord is not just the saving strength of David, the person who's praying this psalm, but he is the saving strength of the people. So the anointed in verse 8, that is God's chosen king. That's, that's initially David writing these, these verses. That saving strength of the anointed is also the saving strength 
of those who are God's people. Back to the context. This is a threat to God's people who David is interceding on behalf of. The Lord is the strength of his people because he is the strength of their king. He is the refuge of the people because he is the refuge of their king. The exaltation experienced by David is also experienced by the people. Their God has also given them victory over their enemy. The psalmist then turns his thanksgiving into thanksgiving and praise into a request for God to continue being their strength and the savior of their people. These final verses give credibility to the interpretation that this psalm is written by a communal representative that representative being the anointed in verse 8. The individual members of the community, of the people, are tied together as a whole, which are all under their head or their leader. Many of you might see where I'm going. Keep in mind this word that we translate as anointed is the Hebrew word Messiah. Following now? Sound familiar? Yes, the Messiah. And as has been emphasized by the men who have preached before me this summer, going through the Psalms, it is vital to view the Psalms through the lens of Christ. And language is often a good cue. Specifically, as Jacob preached a few weeks ago, our Messiah, Christ himself, was a man who daily depended on God, even more than David. He rose early to commune with his Heavenly Father in prayer demonstrating his trust. And we know from the Davidic covenant, God's promise to David, God promised that a man from the line of David would be on the throne forever. And this man is Jesus. Jesus is our awaited king. Christ, the true author of this psalm, also experienced separation from God. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His heavenly father was present, but he was silent toward his son. They drug the righteous one off with the wicked, hanging him on a tree where he received the curse, the curse that you and I deserve. The reward due the work of our hands was nailed into our Savior's hands. And on that day, which we call Good Friday, he died, committing his spirit into the hands of his father, and his body was buried in the tomb. No one has ever trusted the Lord with their life like Jesus. No one has ever trusted the Lord with their life like Jesus. And there in the tomb, his body remained. All day Saturday, his disciples I imagine, like David, between verse 5 and 6, waited to see if God would act, if he would be true to his word. Was Jesus, in fact, son of God? Was Jesus really the rock? Or have we spent the last few years of our life building on sinking sand? Was he really the son of God? And they waited and they waited for what must have felt like an eternity. And Sunday morning, indeed, the Lord was his strength and his life. 
They came to the tomb, and he wasn't there anymore. He is risen. Oh, what exultation, what triumphal joy Jesus must have felt in his victory over sin and death. Victorious over sin, the enemy we now wrestle with, and victorious over death, the result of that sin we must all deal with. Now, if the welfare of the people is inherently connected with the welfare of their head, their king, or their representative, then for those of us who are in Christ, by faith, how confident ought we be? God was a fortress and a shepherd for his anointed one, so we now confidently call on him, day in and day out, in life and in death, to be our shepherd and carry us forever. And so he will. Amen. As David interceded for his people in this psalm, so Christ lives to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to him belong. What refuge we have in God, and Christ has proven it. Beloved, he is our rock. Trust him with your life. He is worthy. Let us pray. Jesus, our King, all things were made through you and for you. The trees, the mountains, the grass, the sky, the clouds, everything that surrounds us now, but also us. We were made to walk with you, to be in your presence, to know you, to be your people, and for you to be our God. And what strength, protection, comfort, exaltation is available to us if we take refuge in you. Like David, our hearts may trust in your strength and wisdom, even when we don't see it, and know with confidence that you are our rock. You are the living God. Father, I pray that if anyone here today is trusting in the work of their own hands, Lord, would you reveal the greatness of your works in creation and the goodness of your work of redemption. For those who know you, Lord, please work in their hearts to reveal specific ways they can entrust their life to you and live it out. Holy Spirit, bear witness to these truths and store them deep in our hearts. Jesus the Son, we praise you and trust you to be our good shepherd and carry us forever. And Heavenly Father, we are leaning on your everlasting arms, so gentle and mighty. We pray all of this, trusting in Christ, our Redeemer and our Rock. Amen.